following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show, everybody. Episode 752 of I Doubt It. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today by the lovely, the talented, and indeed the scholarly Brittany Page, everybody, right here. Well, we have an announcement to make about the show. Wow, you're just jumping right in. About the future of the show. <laughs> well, I'm trying to create suspense. That's and, the way to do it. And fear. The- Fear, I think, more than suspense. Yeah. A fearful suspense, not suspenseful fear. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, how did we get to episode 752? This is our dynamic. Who really knows? So, um, we, as people know, we have dropped down to one episode a week for a period of time. And that period of time is going to come to an end the second week of November. So starting November 8th, we are going to be back to two episodes per week. And we will be releasing on a regular consistent schedule like we used to on Mondays and Thursdays. Um, Why is this going to happen, you may ask? Well, I recently... and, and. I'm going to say what the reason is, but please know that all of this is not my fault. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, well, I want to, I, I, before you give the reason, yeah. I want to say why uh, the content dropped from um, an incredible two episodes per week, which for an independent podcast with someone going to grad school full time and working full time, mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. we did that for year upon year upon year. Yeah. And because things have picked up relative to the intensity of of like my YouTube work mm-hmm. and you have a very stressful and important job. Mm-hmm. Um by the time you get home, both of us sometimes are exhausted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now so so anyway, that explains that sometimes it's hard, man. This is a hard job sometimes. Yeah. So, but I recently uh, made a change in my job. So as as most people are aware, although maybe not, maybe if this is your first episode, you're like, what am I getting into? These people sound flaky. They seem very <laughs> uncommitted. Um, but I, I'm a full-time therapist and I, I work um, in a court-mandated program and um, I'm going to be changing that job. So I'm no longer going to be working in that role and I'm going to be focusing on other things. And one of those things is going to be the podcast and ensuring that we are back to a regular routine, doing two episodes a week, because we really do find this work very fulfilling. It is very hard, but it is very fulfilling. And Jesse, you and I have talked about how we want to do more interviews. Well, me taking a step back in some of the the work that I'm doing outside of this will allow me to really rededicate myself and my time to doing that. And again, as I explain this, it's making it seem like it's all my fault. <laughs> it is not. It's really not all my fault, um, but it has played somewhat of a role. Yeah, I think that's your, your guilty conscience thing mm-hmm. happening. Yeah. Uh, I don't... I would hope people wouldn't glean from anything we've ever said or, or, or indicated on the show that you're the one <laughs> that that is the 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 weak link or the reason that we we drop from two episodes a week to one well and in fact like you said there's many times where i'm like okay let's let's go do the show like you know i oh I, so you don't want to be blamed but you're blame fully you. aware just yeah. to stretch open my <laughs> mouth and take a big runny dump into well no it. and i'm saying lately especially with how busy things have been for you on youtube I will plan the podcast and then say, okay, like, let's do the show. And you're like, no, I've done a lot. No, you know. Do you mean like 10 minutes ago uh, when mm, when you wanted to, it's 930 at night 
and I you I just set my alarm for five a.m. Yeah, and we're going to record for an hour and a half. Okay, so we're kind of and getting... then I have to edit and then post and then go to bed at midnight. Hopefully, get to bed soon to get up at five a.m. Yeah, so I mean, the main point here is is that this is kind of what's been going on. We've been in this period of transition. The pandemic happened. Very stressful things happened within our family during the pandemic. And the pandemic has continued. Very stressful things have happened for me in my job outside of this, which has created a lot of stress. And um, all that's coming to an end. Yeah, exactly. And and we're very happy about that. And we're very grateful um, for the audience because you guys help us stay motivated when we get voicemails, when we get emails. I was going through my camera roll because this is what I do obsessively now is look at photos of Popeye and videos of him during the day. And there's so many screenshots that I have of messages from listeners that have sent us things over the years of this story that you told or this episode that you recorded um, meant so much to me. And those things are really meaningful to us, too. So we just really appreciate your support during this time. And we know the pandemic has been hard for everyone else, too. Yeah, you know? for sure. Um, so it's, it's something that we're really excited about is getting back to normal, getting on that regular schedule. So like we said, um, November 8th, we will be back at it with the Monday and Thursday schedule, two episodes a week, just like we used to. And we're really, really excited to get back there. It is going to be, it is gun. It is gun to be a good time, oh. y'all. <laughs> and we would love to hear from you. Yes. Uh, we'll just start there. 657-464-7609 is the number at which you would leave a brief voicemail. You can also email us, I doubt it, at dollamore.com. Before we get anywhere, let's go on to some listener communication. Some will address some follow-up from the previous episodes, and some will be new. Hey, Jesse and Brittany, it's Austin from Boise, Idaho. Just calling in real quick about two things. One, Mason, taking care of biz. Wearing his mask to take care of others. I love it. Just getting off of work. It's like three o'clock in the morning. Just now taking off my my N95 because I work at a bar and I want to protect those around me because I come in contact with so many people on a daily basis. It's not for me. It's for them. It's for you. Please, even if you're vaccinated, if you're going out in public and you're taking that risk, please, please, please wear your mask. Not to be a PSA, but please wear your damn mask. Also get vaccinated. Second thing. I can't remember which episode it was, but it was a little while ago. Uh, y'all mentioned something about carrying Narcan or naloxone, uh, the antidote, the reversal drug to reverse an opioid overdose. Um, just r- real quick, uh, a little bit about Boise in the last week. We hosted, in the midst of a pandemic, despite everything, a music festival where 400 bands came through to play. Uh, So I I dealt with a lot of people this last week. In an abundance of caution, based on that episode that I'm referring to, uh, I procured and learned how to use, administer, and be comfortable with uh, Narcan and Naloxone, both the intranasal doses and the intramuscular ones. Unfortunately, this last Saturday... I was put in the position to administer it. Uh, We had a patron at at my bar who was in the middle of an overdose on our patio in the middle of an enormous crowd. Um, Administering that, I'm not going to say that it saved his life because I, I, I can't say what would be on the other side of it, but it very well may have. Uh, had I not heard that episode and listened to that advice and taken that precaution, that patron, that person that I know personally may be not like might not be with us today. The unfortunate truth is fentanyl is in a lot of recreational drugs and at music festivals where people are imbibing in those in, in that type of substance 
pretty casually, but on a pretty wide, broad scale, the likelihood that that is going to happen is is very, very prominent and very real. And I'm glad that I, I listened to that episode. Thank you so much for that recommendation. I do, after going through that and I'm still processing the emotions of that, and I'm really surprised that I'm making it through this without tears and crying because that's what I've been doing for the last several days. Um, I, I highly encourage people to get familiar with, with naloxone, with Narcan, carry it with you. There are resources in your area that will provide it to you with free of charge, no cost to you. I got it here in Boise through a nonprofit that does that work. Um, that's important. And, you know, thank you, Jesse and Brittany. Thank you so much. Um, from the bottom of my heart, take care. Well, I definitely want to thank Austin because this is an important story and I hope that people listening to this episode, the previous episode, will understand that this is this is what can happen when you have Narcan on you is that you can save a life. And that is why we talked about it on that episode and related to what Austin mentioned about uh, fentanyl being in other recreational drugs, I attended a training on fentanyl. Um, two or three weeks ago now. And the researcher that was presenting that training talked about some data from an Ohio crime lab study. I believe it was covering um, counties in Ohio, 87 of 88 counties, and the years that it was covering was from 2009 to 2020. And they tested hundreds of thousands of drug samples to determine um, if fentanyl was in these drug samples. And and in that study, 11% of the cocaine samples contained fentanyl, which was pretty shocking to me. Yeah. Pretty, pretty high. Um, so it's very scary. Fentanyl can also be found in meth. It's increasingly being found in meth. So Heroin, it's, obviously. It's very important that, you know, if, if you can, if you know someone who's using, if you're using um, if you live in a city where people are using in parks or on the street, um, and that and that's quite common, then it's important to have Narcan on you because you can do what Austin did and you can save a life. Yeah, absolutely. I, listen, I'm um, not going to. I mean, I will in in Austin's stead in his lack of uh, or his abundance of humility. I think it's pretty clear you saved his life. I think that's that's fantastic. And mm-hmm. the the fact that we played any minor role in that at all to motivate you to get out there and get it is fantastic. And I hope that other people have heeded the warning from Brittany Page. I mean, this is your one of your many areas of expertise. And if we could have played a role in that, it's just it's fucking awesome. Yeah, so, very powerful. Good for you, Austin. Yes. We, we love and appreciate you very much. Mm-hmm. All right. Next up, uh, a call about something we talked about recently related to Brittany um, deciding not to have kids. And this is all, by the way, on the heels of the news that we're not going to cover in the main body of the show. But a federal judge just this evening mm-hmm. um, blocked temporarily blocked the, the Texas law, the, abortion, the draconian uh, abortion law, from going into effect or from continuing, not going into effect, but... Continuing. On to the caller. Hi. Um, I just wanted to comment on Brittany's whole I never wanted to have kids and um, all of that. I just wanted to thank her for saying all that. Uh, I am also someone who's looked at my genetics and decided that that's not something that I'd want to pass on. And I have always been very very certain of that and I've always been looking up vasectomies um I I appreciate hearing somebody else in a similar position and I have a lot of sympathy for going through that as a woman because I do understand how condescending 
uh, things can be to the other gender for no particular reason. Uh, my mother was a gynecologist, um, they, who was very open and, um, I like to think that I'm very aware of those issues. So I understand how difficult it might be to discuss something like that on such a public setting. I just really appreciated hearing it. It made me feel a lot better and, um, not like such a freak anyways thank you well that's very nice well i i'm very happy to hear that you know i there's there's a few things that make me uncomfortable when i do talk about it and that's primarily the um reactions that i think it can provoke in other people and by that i mean some people can think well what the hell i have problems in my family and i want to have kids you know like they think it's an indictment of them or like that they should make the same choice or that i have judgments like i I understand that, you know, almost everyone probably has some sort of genetic problem that they would fear being passed down, right? Maybe. I don't know. Um, That's not a reason for you not to have kids. That's, you know, don't feel attacked because that's being said. Um, That's sometimes a a reaction that gets provoked. I know you, you, maybe you disagree. I can't. No, I was going to say that to so many people, like we've talked about this in the past and people they get a little wincy. Well, what about the people who have fertility problems, can't have kids, or struggle to have kids? And you're over here, fertile myrtle, and choosing not to because of gen. I mean, people just get worked up because they get so ensconced in their own thing that it's you're not making a judgment on them. Mm-hmm. You're making a decision for yourself. Just like everybody should be doing. Right. Or people think, oh, wow, she hates kids, you know. Right. Yeah. And that's not the case either. It's 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 a personal decision that people, I think, are free to make, especially now, like more free to make now. Yeah. I think that um, the younger generations are starting to reconsider, like, what is a happy, fulfilling life? And it's no longer, like, get married as soon as you can, have kids, have a white picket fence, like they're realizing that a happy, fulfilled life can look very different from that. Sure. And that that's okay. So I, I definitely think it's a good thing. Uh, maybe was more difficult to talk about in the past, but I feel like I've gotten over some of that. But I, I always appreciate knowing that things that we say here on the show help make other people's lives a little bit easier. Or better. Yeah, or we normalize things that people might secretly in their heads feel ashamed about or whatever. Yeah. And we give a little space for that because I'm a fucking weirdo. <laughs> so, you know, all you weirdos out there, start feeling okay about it because uh, I'm loud and proud. That's right. Flying my weirdo flag. That's right. That's thanks what we for, do. <laughs> thanks for the call. We appreciate it. On to the final call of this episode. One that we probably talked about in the past. Give it another shot. Hey, guys. This is John. Um, I love your show. It's amazing. Um, I was just curious. decided to uh, change your political views and, and the influence of your family. If it's too personal of a question, I understand. But uh, I also think um, deciding to get away from toxic shit like that um, might maybe help others understand how to do it anyway thanks guys i'd love your show again see you talk to you soon bye well that this seems like a great question from john but i didn't hear the beginning part of it it sounded like it cut out did you hear the yeah, yeah, i think the, the the crux of the question is about us deciding to change our political views oh okay which is probably more of a question for me because you've you've always been liberal a lefty well, once I escaped my indoctrination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. as an adult. So is the question how we change the views or what views we've changed? Again, a little choppy. Okay. But uh, uh, the only thing I take issue with is the is the the, the wording and it might be it might be a little it, you know nitpicky, but I didn't decide to change my political views. My my views changed when new when i when i 
processed information differently. So where'd you start in your views? Let's do that because, you know, we have new listeners coming to the show all the time. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty well established that I'm a former former conservative Republican. I grew up in a, a fundamentalist evangelical nutter butter household, um, a Christian nationalist uh, household. Um, I'm no longer that, no longer religious, and um, no longer conservative. I, I'm I there. I transitioned from kind of romanticizing, no, from straight up Republican to kind of romanticizing libertarianism uh, to to where I am now, which I consider myself a progressive, and it's it's all really based on this show and us committed to telling the truth and committed to facts and being able to back up what we say. Over a period of years, you would say. Years and years and years. Right. right. And then also, really what has what has cemented it is watching, and I haven't been a Republican for decades, but even being conservative, witnessing things that I used to think really mattered, like balance in the budget and how much money we spend, and realizing that all that doesn't matter anywhere near, if at all, Anywhere near the the way I I used to think it mattered, or really at all, because you you notice the cycle that Republicans complain, 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 complain about the budget and how much money we're spending on this program or that program, and then when they're in office, we we rack up eight more trillion dollars worth of debt in four years under Donald Trump. So it didn't. The world didn't end. the The economy didn't collapse. Inflation didn't go crazy. Those things don't matter. So in its stead, in, in, to, to replace that fear and that obsession, if, if those things don't matter, then let's take care of people. Mm-hmm. It's not like the economy is in peril if we take care of those in need. And that's, that's ultimately really my, my political philosophy is never punching down, taking care of people when they need it. And um, I mean... It doesn't really sum it up, but that's part of it. Yeah. Well, and I appreciate that you're like um, giving me credit for essentially always having the right political views, but that's all right. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> all right. That has definitely not been the case. And um, of course, I have gone through a similar evolution. Although I, I just didn't start in the same place as you. I mean. And and again, we're kind of, you know, rehashing things that maybe a lot of people know, but there's new listeners that come. So I was raised in a uh, a white power household in the white power movement. So both of my parents, active white supremacists. Um, and when I say this, I don't just mean like, you know, Uncle Gary is, you know, using racial slurs at the TV. I mean, like, you know, my dad had a swastika tattoo. He had many yeah. Nazi tattoos. Um, swastika flag flying outside the house in our neighborhood, uh, moved to Idaho to be closer to Aryan nations. I went to Aryan nations. I saw the, the, uh, cross lightings. Um, so active in the movement. And if you're new to the show, hashtag raised by wolves. And so, but, but the thing is I, my parents didn't really have like a cohesive political orientation, or at least I never picked up on it. I know my dad would call into political shows and debate people, and he was very fiery. Like on the radio. On the radio. But I think it was always tied to racism. And we met Pat Buchanan, so that's pretty much the only politician that I really know that they admired was Pat Buchanan. Shocker that Pat they were drawn to Pat Buchanan. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So, but, um, you know, once I escaped the white power indoctrination and like understood that the Holocaust really happened and, and, you know, really figured things out. Um, I identified very quickly with the democratic party. Now that doesn't mean that I wasn't taken in by things like, uh, that, that truther, the nine 11 truther video that went viral on, uh, zeitgeist, zeitgeist, um, (laughs) for a period of time or, um, you were a dumb kid. Yeah. You know, things like that. But I've, I've come around. I mean, I, I no longer support the death penalty. I used to be very aggressive about criminal justice issues. And a lot of that was for self-protection, like very against all drugs, like all drugs are bad, you know, like agreeing with everything and reefer madness, like totally on board. (laughs) Um, You just love propaganda. Yeah, (laughs) I think that's where this is going. 
but I grew up poor. So really kind of the central thing that drew me to the the Democratic Party was what you just talked about, which was like caring for people. And I also didn't really grow up in the church. We we went to church when I was 12 because my mom needed like help paying the bills. Yeah. And so she wanted to have the church people help her do that. More of a grift. And they did, which was really yeah. nice. And I got really good messages from church, but I was never really on board with the whole thing. Well, you, you also lucked out and you went to a church with Mark Trailer, who didn't believe hell was a real thing. And yeah, you know, a very progressive. Didn't he say he liked to want to slip a subliminal liberal messages into his conservative Boise congregation? He would tell me that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We love us some Mark Trailer. Yeah. Um, no longer a podcast host, but it was nice while it lasted. That was nice while... See what happens? Maybe they'll come back. Listen, how, that's why I say, how do we get to episode 752? Yeah. When uh, people burn out quick, man. So to answer John's question, um, how did that happen? I think it's similar to Jesse, number one, over a lengthy period of time. Um, having compassionate people who intervened and said, hey, some of the things that you believe and say are not good and not true. And it, here are the correct things. And here's the information. Please take it in. Yeah, yeah. But then I also wanted to take it in. Right. And a huge part of it has been doing this show for the past seven years. And that's why listener communication is such an important part of the show is that we want to be molded and shaped by the experiences of other people. And really that is how the changes on any of the political issues that I've changed have come about is yeah, by reading sure. the perspectives of other people, hearing about the experiences of other people and allowing those things to shape my perspective. So really I'm grateful for other people for being patient with me and allowing me the opportunity to make those necessary changes so that I can be right about everything now. <laughs> And in addition to that, let me say, I'll be the humble one here, uh, still changing. Yes. Still a work in progress. It's yes. not a It's not a done deal. It's, it's continuing to evolve when new information or information that's new to me comes in my purview. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I bring it on board and sometimes I reject it. Sometimes I, I adopt it. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, we should all be striving to. To change views yeah. when new information comes along. Anyway. Lifelong learner. Absolutely. Anyway, John, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Austin, anonymous caller, all of you, we appreciate it very much. If you'd like to call, have us amplify your opinion or your question, you can, you can do so by calling 657-464-7609 or emailing a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. I Doubt It is a listener-supported podcast. Support comes from our most loyal, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners just like you via Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month would help keep the conversation moving forward one podcast at a time. If you have a few dollars to spare each month, we invite you to help produce the show by joining the Patreon family. Please visit patreon.com slash idoubtitpodcast. We would like to thank our new Patreon supporters, Merlin. Merlin. Denton T. Denton T. Betty M. Betty M. Tim W. Tim W. Deborah M. Deborah M. Rob J. Rob J. Robbie 82. Robbie 82. Sounds like a party name. Melissa C. Melissa C. Karen W. Karen W. Suzette H. Suzette H. Uncle Blasto. <laughs> Uncle Blasto. Sean C. Sean C. Patrick M. Patrick M. Robert B.P. Robert B.P. Simone B. Simone B. Kitty B.J. Kitty B.J. Armando C. Armando C. Pat W. Pat W. A lot of W's, a lot of M's today. DR. DR. Leif H. Leif H. Sheila O. Sheila O. All right. Now we would like to thank the Patreon supporters who increased their pledge. 
And that would be a Robbie82 who became a new Patreon supporter and then immediately turned around and doubled that support. I told you it was party time. Robbie82! And same with uh, Rusted Ducks Design. Rusted Ducks Design trying to get a free promotion shout out. Rusted (laughs) Ducks Design. But you know what? You get it because you more than doubled your pledge. All right? Fantastic. Fantastic. Perfect. So thank you so very much for your beautiful support of the show. Like we said, we're coming back. Regular, consistent schedule is going to be the most important thing that we do with our week (laughs) is a Monday and Thursday show. We're also um, going to be doing a lot more interviews. So if there's someone you want to hear from, you want to hear us talk to somebody, Yes. um, hit us up. You can tweet at us. At I Doubt It Podcast. You should be following that account anyway. Yep. Also at Brittany E. Page and at Dollamore. Absolutely. All those are great ways to get a hold of us, connect with us, live in life. Yes. Good times. And don't forget about the Patreon hangouts that happen every month for those in the appropriate tier. Uh, remember, it's the last Saturday of every month at 11 a.m. Pacific time. So this month, the month of October, it's going to be Saturday, October 30th. At 11 a.m., we hope to see you there. Fantastic. We love you guys so much. All right. Moving on. Stalemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. All right. Well, separate and apart from all of the things we're going to talk about today, uh, I do want to mention very briefly... um, Andrew Yang has switched parties. He has left the Democratic Party, is now an independent, and he's starting his own party. Mm. And the best way to announce such a move for the former Democratic presidential candidate for these United States, the best way, you ask, eh, you go on Tucker Carlson's show on Fox News and talk to him about it. So... I guess he could be asshole of today, but he won't be. We have someone else. But it's interesting that he said um, on with Tucker Carlson, quote, I'm trying to bring our country back together. Yeah. To Tucker Carlson. Right. Yeah. You know how popular he is with the people who want to bring the country together. Do you ever you ever feel like good and like with me, it's like even a little arrogance that I always had that fucking guy's number. Did you? I've never liked that guy. Hmm. Well, I remember during the debates that the one thing that we really didn't like when we would do the debate episodes. Where he'd lean into the stereotypes and shit. Yeah, like, yeah. because I'm Asian, I love math. Like, he would just say that. Yeah. Wouldn't he just say stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was wild. Also, he had a a, a, a very heavy um, white nationalist type of following. A racist bunch of people. He disavowed them openly and and, and um, vigorously. Mm-hmm. But what is about what he does that is going to to lead people to follow him that that have those pernicious beliefs? I mean, I don't right. know. Well, I mean, it's very strange to start this third party kickoff tour on Tucker's show with Tucker Carlson. Yeah, and what message does that send? Yeah, he, he. I mean, he is the he is the official mouthpiece for white supremacy in this country. And uh, that's not the place to go. I mean, listen, Fox News in general is not great at all. But but there's something especially sinister about Tucker Carlson's show. Yes. Anyway, we're not going to... We have no clip. We're not really going to go into detail about it. I just... He's on my Twitter screen, who to follow. Because mm. I tweeted at him some shitty stuff. And then he's still... Twitter's like, oh, you should follow him. You like him. You're talking to him. Yeah. That's Is the that voice. What, yeah, that's Twitter in my ear. That's what I hear. Wow, I'm glad that I do not hear from Twitter. Um, what we are going to talk about is the Democrats really coming together, working together <laughs> to improve the lives of Americans. It's really been great. I really appreciate their hard work. We have some sound from both uh, Joe Manchin, but before we get there, a little sound of Kristen Cinema. Hello, poor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Kristen Cinema. What an absolute... Is it Kirsten? Oh, I think it's Kirsten, because it is Is KY. Is it Kirsten? It is KY, yeah. Mm, Yeah, so it's Kirsten, right? Whatever. Yeah. Um, Old five-second hand-wash McGee over there. She... (laughs) That was a controversial tweet. Now, people did not like me talking about that, but it was, for me, the most upsetting part of the video. You know... (laughs) 
these protesters followed uh, Kirsten Cinema into a bathroom. At the University of Arizona, where she's a paid lecturer. Right. And, well, well, no one can get a hold of her unless yeah. they're, like, you know, at this expensive high-rise hotel, like, lobbyist party situation. Yeah. Right? No right. one can talk to her. Her constituents can't track her down. I tell you what, when she's in public, that woman is always on the telephone. Like, <laughs> phone up to her ear. Like, anybody's buying that bullshit. Well, and I was reading um, from this reporting, and um, they say that she doesn't engage with Washington reporters in a serious way, which we've been seeing more of. And she doesn't hold open to the public events in Arizona. And she has effectively cut off communication with local progressive groups that work to get her elected in 2018. Weird. Her spokesman did not respond to this reporting, but quote, Ian Danley, the executive director of Arizona Wins, a coalition of 32 progressive advocacy organizations, said his group had registered nearly 200,000 new voters and knocked on more than 2 million doors in support of Cinema's 2018 campaign. She has not once met with his group or its partners since taking office in yeah. 2019. Scumbag. So this is the only way they can really track her down is they see her in public. She tries to duck and hide in a bathroom and they followed her in there and there was all this controversy like is this appropriate should this be how people behave um and it's always like celebrities or in the news business celebrities who are like oh i don't agree with that yeah just come on well and i wonder if that's part of their own fear they're not drag ripping the door open while she's taking a dump that they're (laughs) they're politely talking to her and demanding representation and again, I think that that's their own fear. Like Maggie Haberman doesn't want to be in a Starbucks and have people walk up to her and ask her questions about why she, you know, reported something a certain way or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what motivates that. But Yeah, but listen, Maggie Haberman, I, I believe she does have a degree of, of privacy expectation. She doesn't represent millions of people who voted for her. Yeah, no, what I'm saying is I think when when someone like Maggie Haberman, because you're referencing these celebrity reporters that come out and defend elected officials against, quote unquote, harassment. Yeah, it's because of their own fear of being, quote unquote, harassed. Yeah, I, I agree. But I again, agree. I don't think this is harassment. And you know what? Neither does Joe Biden. Joe Biden came out. And he said he doesn't agree with the tactics, but he also said, like, hey, comes with the territory. And by the way, this question that you're getting ready to hear is asked by Peter Ducey. Yes. Steve Ducey's son, Peter Ducey, who is wildly qualified for the job, guys. Don't (laughs) think that this guy only got his job at Fox News and is now the White House correspondent. Don't think it's only because of his daddy, Steve. Yeah. He's super Super qualified. And just one, Mr. President, uh, you're talking about how you have 48 Democratic votes right now. The other two uh, have been pressured over the weekend by activists. Joe Manchin had people on kayaks show up to his boat. TL Adam, Senator Cinema last night was chased into a restroom. Oh, God. Do you think that those tactics are crossing a line? I don't think they're appropriate tactics, but it happens to everybody. From the, <laughs> the only people it doesn't happen to are people who have Secret Service standing around. <laughs> um, so uh, it's, it's, it's part of the process. Yes, sir. A lot of people have been trying to attack immigration. Uh, President, you know, I know you don't want to comment on other senators' positions in the negotiations, but... All right, all right, all right, all right. Poor little Peter Ducey couldn't get his second question on. That's sad. <laughs> He's just getting ramrodded by the other guy. You hear the phrasing in the question, though? I mean, if you just analyze the language of the questions, you would be able to tell which networks they're coming from. Yeah, for sure. Because he referenced this chased into a bathroom. Well, also, first, the, the Joe Manchin thing, people like paddled up to his yacht not a boat they paddled up to his yacht on kayaks and then he's like and they yelled at him you mean they rose they raised their voices because they're down on the water and he's way up on a perch on this giant like 
50 foot yacht. Oh my God. I mean, it is like a giant houseboat, but yeah. it's technically, technically it's a yacht. Yeah. So I listen, I don't know what people are supposed to do. If Kirsten Cinema is not holding town hall meetings, if she's not meeting with the groups that helped to get her elected, she's not even answering the media. Their reporters are asking her questions and her little, um, you know, staffers are like protecting her. Oh, yeah. From the reporters questions. So what are what are her constituents supposed to do? We also saw this situation on a plane. She was on a plane. Yeah. And someone approached her politely, very politely, very calmly, quietly. Uh, just wanting an answer, and again, Kirsten Cinema ignoring. Yeah, she looked at, up at her one time, and then uh, that was it. And then face back in her phone, stupid AirPods, uh, Apple AirPods or whatever they are. Those you know, are the, your favorite. Those little the little dicks that hang out of your ear. <laughs> the little the little plastic the white dicks in sure. people's ears. Yeah, yeah, those. She was wearing the dicks. Okay. In, in in her ears. Mm-hmm. Yep. On an airplane. Yeah. Dick ears. So, um, <laughs> we're not fans of Kirsten Cinema. Wait, and, wait, no, and Joe I Manchin. am. No, I love. I think she's great. Yeah. So when I got the news alert that Joe Manchin was holding a news press conference, to is it a news press conference? It's late. And um, to talk about his opposition. For the 3.5 reconciliation bill, I thought, oh, great. So he just wants more attention and he wants to dictate the terms and he's already come out and said what his top line is. Old spotlight mansion. And what he um, is is not willing to do in terms of amounts. Right. We keep hearing about this amounts from Joe Manchin. Yeah. But what we're not hearing is what Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema would specifically like to remove from the reconciliation bill. What do they actually want to remove? It's a mystery. And you'll hear from Joe Manchin, he he doesn't answer the question, and instead reiterates that he's very concerned about this bill turning our society into one of entitlement. Here he is. Hello, Paul. Ah, wrong. Wrong clip. Here's Joe Manchin. Point five. I think it's very important we understand that we need to do a tax reform to make sure the wealthiest, they got the best advantages, the biggest advantages from the 2017 tax cuts pay their fair share. I think the corporations that enjoy this great country and the comfort and the protection of this great country pay their fair share. I think also we have to make sure that we're committed to children, Children at the beginning of life, that we can help them, and also our seniors at the end of life, that we can give them the dignity and the quality of life of living in your home if you desire to do that. These are all things we can set priorities. This is not a hard, this is not a heavy lift. Um, I think also lowering the price of drugs makes no sense at all that we don't go out and negotiate. The VA does a tremendous job. Medicaid does it. Why doesn't Medicare? These are things we all can agree on very easily. And also, uh, I've been very clear when it comes to who we are as as a society, who we are as a nation, and why we are still the hope of the world. I don't believe that we should turn our society into an entitlement society. I think that we should still be a compassionate, rewarding society. I think that fares best for all of us. But compassion means taking care of those who can't take care of themselves, whether they're young, whether they've had some type of a... a, um, a challenge in life, whether it be mental or physical, those are responsibilities that we have. And we can all meet those responsibilities. And I feel very strongly about that. And we will continue. This is going to take time to get this done. Getting it done quickly is not going to benefit anybody. So let's make sure that we do it and do it right. Um, uh, getting it... <laughs> Getting it. Uh, by done. the way, I didn't. Add, I didn't end the clip where you said to. I noticed. That. I left the extra three or four seconds where he's like, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, 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 <laughs> I thank you for doing that because I think it was actually better to not cut it where I wanted it to be. Um, and then, and then, uh, listen, if you were to disguise his voice mm-hmm. and try to guess what party he's in, yeah. I mean, he's like, well, people got to work. It's all these welfare people trying to scam the system. 
I mean, that's, it's not the words he's using, but it's, it's what he's saying. It's the theme of what he's saying. Well, so he said doing this quickly is not going to benefit anyone. Um, Except for the people who are desperate for, for aid. Exactly. And assistance. Yeah, actually, uh, what? No, it is absolutely going to benefit everyone it's, if it's, you do this quickly. I just it walked into the ER and at my neck, it's spurting blood. Listen, acting quickly isn't going to help anybody in this situation. Except for me, because my neck, it's, I, I can't, it's bleed. I, oh, I'm dead. Yeah. So Joe Manchin continues to use this line about entitlement. And we're going to play a press conference response from Senator Bernie Sanders. And he really takes on the entitlement line in a very beautiful way. But first, I want to talk about All right. um, <laughs> the fact that uh, Joe Manchin's price cap is $1.5 trillion. So oh, he has given a uh, uh, a drop dead number. Yes, but again, he's giving a number, right. but he's not detailing what exactly he would remove as far as programs. How long did you hear him talk right now? He could have been detailing that. He right. could have been saying what his offer is, but he doesn't want to do that. Do you know why? Because it's more popular to talk about something obscure, like the number, right? The number is so scary for everyone. What he doesn't want to do is say, you know what? Take out that uh, pre-K. No one needs yeah, that. Yeah, right. Right? What do you mean? You want to add a uh, dental coverage on Medicare? Nah, no, you don't not. need that. We don't need that. My teeth are fine. You're fine. Right. He doesn't want to get into specifics because ultimately that's not going to be a good look. Also, sir. the fact that they're going to raise taxes on people who earn $400,000, more than $400,000 a year, and they're saying this thing is not a drain. It's not going to add to the deficit. It is revenue neutral, as they say. I believe that's what they say. Um, budget neutral is what they've been saying. All right. Yeah. Anyway, here's Bernie Sanders. Can I play the Bernie Sanders now? Yeah, sorry that I stepped all now, over Senator that. Manchin, as I understand <laughs> it, talked about today about not wanting to see our country become an entitlement society. Well, I am not exactly sure what he means by that. Does that mean that we end the $300 direct payments for working class parents, which have cut childhood poverty in this country as a result of the American Rescue Plan in half? Is protecting working families and cutting childhood poverty an entitlement? Does Senator Manchin think we should once again have one of the highest levels of childhood poverty of any major country on earth. At a time when millions of seniors in Vermont, in West Virginia, all across this country, have teeth in their mouths that are rotting, when they can't afford hearing aids in order to communicate with their grandchildren, and when they can't afford a pair of glasses in order to read a newspaper, does Senator Manchin really believe that seniors are not entitled to digest their food and that they're not entitled to hear and see properly. Is that really too much to ask in the richest country on earth that elderly people have teeth in their mouth and can see and can hear? The Senator Man should not believe that we have to end the absurdity of the United States paying by far the highest prices in the world for prescription drugs, sometimes 10 times more for a particular drug than is paid in Canada or other countries around the world. Does Senator Manchin believe that we should be the only major country on earth not to guarantee paid family and medical leave, and that working mothers should not be able to stay home with a child who is sick? Are workers not entitled to be able to do that? Does Senator Manchin believe that working-class parents in West Virginia and Vermont should not have to pay does he believe that they should have to pay 25 or 30% of their incomes on child care all over this country? Working class families are paying 25 or 30% of their incomes on child care so that they could go out and do their jobs. Are the children of this country not entitled to high quality child care and pre-K education? Senator Manchin not believe that working families in this country are entitled, 
entitled to affordable housing and that we should not have some 600,000 people in America, including many veterans, sleeping out on the streets. Does Senator Manchin not believe that at a time when we have a major labor shortage in many parts of this country, because our young people lack the skills they need, that they are not entitled to at least two years of free community college so they can get the training in order to go out and get the good-paying jobs that are there. And perhaps most importantly, does Senator Manchin not believe what the scientists are telling us, that we face an existential threat regarding climate change, and that it is absolutely imperative that we move boldly to cut carbon emissions. Scientists have told us we're on a red alert. Some of you know the science, some number of scientists received the Nobel Prize for their work on climate change. Does Senator Manchin not believe that our children and grandchildren are entitled to live in a country and a world that is healthy and is habitable? Senator Manchin has been extremely critical of the $3.5 trillion proposal that many of us support. In fact, nine out of 11 members of the Budget Committee support. But the time is long overdue for him to tell us with specificity, not generalities, we're beyond generalities, with specificity what he wants and what he does not want, and to explain that to the people of West Virginia and America. I look forward to working with Senator Manchin and everyone else in the Senate to pass a strong reconciliation bill as well as a bipartisan infrastructure bill. And this is the important question that I have for Joe Manchin. What is what is in the reconciliation bill that he believes is an entitlement? Yeah. Or is going to somehow mystifyingly uh, transform our country into a welfare state or I mean it's Republican talking points. Well he's creating this juxtaposition of this thing is an entitlement. This thing is a reward for hard work. Yeah. Right? He wants to create a compassionate and rewarding society. This is his catchphrase. A compassionate and rewarding society. One that rewards hard work. Not one that gives entitlements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So this was uh, Joe Manchin's response to Bernie Sanders' press conference. You know, they're having like dueling press conferences at this point. (laughs) Quote, respectfully, Senator Sanders and I share very different policy and political beliefs. As he and I have discussed, Senator Sanders believes America should be moving toward an entitlement society, while I believe we should have a compassionate and rewarding society. What? A compassionate and rewarding? It's his catchphrase. <laughs> wow. What? It doesn't even make any sense. Well, like you said, it's a Republican talking point. Yeah. It's about rewarding, quote unquote, rewarding hard work. Mr. Wants- Multimillionaire, coal baron, oil fossil fuel dipshit over here. Well, I know this is going to blow everyone's mind, but the American Dental Association is mobilizing, according to the Wall Street Journal, its 162,000 members to fight the proposal to include dental coverage in Medicare. right. Yeah. You know, dentists, known for being really cool. Yeah, and uh, not scam-tastic at all, dentists. They the most ethical and moral of all the healthcare industry. Yes. Well, they say that um, Medicare won't reimburse enough to cover their costs, mm. and they are pushing for an alternative plan that would limit benefits to the poorest Medicare recipients. How am I going to make my boat payment, y'all? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, how much do they charge to do the, the tooth cleaning? I mean, I think I pay $100 with insurance. With good insurance. Wait, out of pocket? Yes. Well, that's for not a regular cleaning, because you shouldn't be paying with insurance for regular cleaning. That's for a deep cleaning. Then, well, whatever. That's what I'm paying. That's every time I go in, it's a hundred bucks. Well, you're telling everybody your deets right now, because that means every time you go in, they got to do some work. They're not doing that much work. I'm in and out of there quick. Um, okay. maybe, I'm, maybe I'm not telling everybody the deets and more. I'm just telling, kind of explaining how dentists are scam-fucking-tastic. Yeah, so 
Sure. Um, <laughs> wow. The, but That's the- prick shit, right? <laughs> That's prick shit. Yeah. So anyway, uh, dentists against people having a good time. That's really cool. So we are going to... <laughs> they, they just love reward... What does he say? Uh, compassionate and rewarding They society. just love compassionate and rewarding countries. <laughs> what a dumb fuck. So this was the other kind of thing happening at the same time was the fight over whether or not to raise the the debt limit the debt ceiling which by the way just to get it out of the way up front republicans did during trump with no problems democrats immediately went along with it because that's what they do it is the best for the country it's financially responsible and republicans now are acting like oh now it's way different than it was then. Well, and Republicans and Democrats have uh, actually created uh, an offer now that they agree on, and they have agreed to increase the debt limit into September. But again, there's no long-term strategy, which is still a problem. So we wanted to talk about this a little bit because I think there's some misunderstanding or at least, I think, attempts on the part of Republican politicians to manipulate what the point of all this is. For example, the debt limit has nothing to do with new spending. It's about past spending. That's right. All all the dollars that were spent prior to this, we're on the hook for, for interest. And so for some reason, the Republicans are talking about it in conjunction with the reconciliation bill. Of course they are, because they're liars. And so I wanted to play this clip because it's an interview with Jared Bernstein, a member of the president's Council of Economic Advisors. And this was recorded before they reached this agreement. So that's important context. Yeah, but but it, this, I was just going to use the word too. This does give context to what the whole thing is about, though. Exactly. And that's why it's important. Jared Bernstein, welcome back to the News Hour. Always a pleasure to be here. So as you and I sit here at the table uh, a little before five o'clock in the afternoon, where do things stand with regard to Democrats and Republicans and the debt ceiling? Well, the debt ceiling has not been raised, and it should be. It should have been uh, already. This should be uh, a joint effort wherein Democrats and Republicans work together to raise the debt ceiling in order to make payments that both of them have already agreed to. I think this is a source of confusion, Judy, sometimes on this issue of the debt ceiling, that somehow it's forward-looking. It has to do with spending that uh, is coming down the pike. That's not what it's about. It's about paying for bills that both sides have already incurred. And that's why 80 times over the past 60 years, the the debt ceiling has been increased in many cases bipartisanly. And in fact, in the Trump administration, Democrats worked with Republicans to increase the debt ceiling three times. And this was the Trump administration that added $8 trillion to the debt. So it is time for Democrats and Republicans to work together to get this behind us. So if what uh, the Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell is offering is a temporary extension saying, all right, well, you will go along with uh, extending the debt ceiling, but only for a limited period of time. Does that allow you, uh, the president and Democrats, to do what you need to do right now? Well, I think what we have from the minority leader is a press release at this point. I don't know of a formal offer, so it's a little bit hard to talk about details, and it's the kind of thing you want Chuck Schumer to take uh, the lead on. What we really don't want to see is a complicated two-step process, nothing that kicks the can down the road that says, well, we'll raise it a little now, we'll raise it more later. And the reason for that really gets back to the economics. We have an economy with a a robust recovery ongoing, but Delta is still upon the land. The virus is still out there. And this is absolutely no time to be fooling around with the faith and credit of the U.S. government's debt. And that's precisely what this effort unnecessarily does. So again, debts incurred by both parties hold hands as we've done in the past, work together. We could get this behind us in the next five minutes, not in the next two, three, four, six months. But what the minority leader, uh, Senator McConnell and other Republicans are saying is that this is a democratic 
debt, that Democrats oh, simply no, want no, to no. move ahead right now in order to pay for the programs they want to pay. So let me say that that is factually incorrect, and it's important to get this straight. This is not Democrat debt. It's not necessarily all Republican debt. It's both. And the reason for that is that this has nothing to do with forthcoming spending. It has nothing to do with building back better, the infrastructure plan, the rescue plan. It has nothing to do with new spending. It has everything to do with the stock of debt that both parties have accumulated. And the debt ceiling is simply uh, a, uh, a line in the sand that says when you hit that, the Treasury can't go out and borrow what it needs to borrow in order to pay bills that both parties have already incurred. This is perfectly analogous to the two of us going out to, to dinner, which I would very much enjoy. And after oh. dinner, uh, the check comes and we say, no, thanks. Uh, we don't want to do that. But one party is doing that. The Republicans are not cooperating with the Democrats, not working together, as Democrats did under the Trump administration, to lift this ceiling quickly and efficiently. A few other quick questions, Jared Bernstein. Should the Democrats have anticipated that this was going to happen, given that you've got such small margins in the, a small margin in the House and virtually a one-vote margin, literally a one-vote yeah. margin in the Senate? Totally fair question, and one I can answer from the perspective of someone on the inside. We have been working with Republicans from the minute we got here because we foresaw this. Uh, th this, this kind of thing you can see coming because you know the inflows and the outflows of revenues and, and, and receipts. And so we, we began trying to make these negotiations occur in a seamless way, just as Democrats worked with Republicans to raise the debt ceiling three times in the Trump administration, an administration that added $8 trillion to the debt. It's not Democrat debt. It's not Republican debt. It's debt that's been incurred by both parties over the, over the years. And we were planning from the very beginning to do this. Now, initially, by the way, initially Republicans wouldn't help us. Uh, and we said, OK, get out of the way. We'll do it ourselves. Then they started playing filibuster games. And so, so it's not just that they're not getting out of the cart and pushing. They're standing in front of the cart. So Jared Bernstein putting the moves on Judy Woodruff. Who's been married since 1980 to Al Hunt and has three kids. No. Oh. That's I Googled <laughs> while he was rambling on. No, I thought you just knew a lot about Judy. I'm her biggest fan. <laughs> no, I think Jared Bernstein is your biggest fan. My biggest fan? Judy's biggest Judy's fan. biggest yeah. fan. Um, so that was a nice little uh, dinner invite. Hopefully that works out for them. Which I would really love to do. <laughs> um so the the important thing here is to not let the republicans manipulate what is actually happening here in these discussions to increase the debt limit right because they're they're just it's liars it's miss it's disinformation but, but it's also disappointing that the the long-term solution doesn't seem to be something that is on the table. That is just going to be these incremental increases that get us, you know, it's like the eviction moratorium. Okay, right. it's like extended for two months and then... Just kicking a can down the road. Yeah, I mean, at some point this is going to need to be dealt with. And can we just like mint the, mil the trillion dollar coin or whatever? Which they have the power to do. Because that would be good. Just Biden's so... Uh... He romanticizes tradition and blah, not rocking the boat, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm sure Manchin doesn't like to rock the boat either because mm. he's a boat owner because <laughs> of the boat. The boat. Anyway, we'd love to know what you think about these and anything else that's on your mind. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Taking care of biz. United States District Attorney Robert L. Pittman, and we talked about this in the beginning of the show when we referenced the Texas abortion situation. We alluded to having an asshole of today, but things change, sometimes in the middle of the show. Sometimes in the middle of the theme for asshole of today playing. We change directions. Sometimes we record an Asshole of Today segment, and then we realize that we're wrong about some of the stuff we're saying, and then we cut that out of the show. Because of the magic of editing. And everything is perfectly fine on this episode, everybody. <laughs> all the fuck we need. Okay, so the federal judge... Uh, so the federal judge issued an order blocking enforcement of the state's strict abortion law, 
which of course bars the procedure as early as six weeks into pregnancy. The judge, according to reporting from the Washington Post, called out Texas officials for crafting, quote, an unprecedented and aggressive scheme to deprive its citizens of a significant and well-established constitutional right. Since the law took effect September 1st, Pittman wrote, quote, women have been unlawfully prevented from exercising control over their lives in ways that are protected by the Constitution. This court will not sanction one more day of this offensive deprivation of such an important right. This was in a 113-page order. And how powerful is that? Yeah, well, the reason he he issued that, or the reason that's worded that way, is because Texas wanted him to give them time or stay his decision until a, a, a higher court could hear it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm not doing that. You guys are the one acting in, in, not, in not in good faith, mm-hmm. in bad faith, and we're not going to allow this to go on another hour because people's constitutional rights are being stepped upon. Right. So what's going to happen? Well, it's almost certainly going to be appealed. It's going to be back in yeah. front of the Supreme Court. But what happens now is one of the state's largest abortion providers is going to be resuming abortion services, they announced, um, for patients up to 18 weeks into pregnancy. So that's the immediate effect of this ruling, which I think is the more important point. We can have fears about the appeal and what's going to happen when it goes before the Supreme Court. But right now, what matters is that there are activists and people that are ready to to take up for people that need yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, abortion services, need health care. I mean, women who yesterday were turned away from clinics because at six weeks, there's a fluttering of cells that mimics heart cardiac activity. They were turned away yesterday and now they can go back and get their desperately needed health care. And I don't know if anyone that listens to the show uh, listens to The Daily. If you've heard of The Daily from The New York Times. This episode brought to you by The New York (laughs) Times Daily. But they did an episode that was very powerful on the Texas abortion law. And I would definitely listen to that because they talk to women that are traveling out of state to get abortions, that are struggling to travel out of state, that have to get funding from nonprofit organizations uh, because they can't afford it. And I mean, I know that we all understand what happened in Texas, but I feel like you don't understand what happened in Texas until you hear the stories. The real lives that are going to be impacted by it. Absolutely. Yeah. The actual ramifications from the people that are being negatively impacted by it. So it was really powerful and I would really recommend it. Absolutely. Anyway, again, we'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Email those voice memos from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. You can use those same numbers and that same email to participate in our Thanksgiving episode. We've received one single voicemail. One? It's going to be another year. It's October. That fucking bums me out. It's October. Don't lose hope, Jesse D. The audience will not let you down. You guarantee it? Well, we'll I, see I, I guarantee time, it. See you next time, everybody. I guarantee it. <laughs> we'll see you next time. We love you. Until then, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been... I doubt.